I've seen the first sunrise in, in the Arctic after one night of winter, oh, you know, months of winter, it's cool. Pureness of it usually just speaks to me being in the moment. It doesn't have to necessarily be a place, but it just kind of, if something happens and you're just like, ah, oh, this is, I'm gonna remember this. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, but we do have branches in Switzerland and Austria and Norway, Chile, Canada, and the US. Hey now, Mountain Crew. Welcome back to the Mountain Podcast, providing insider intel on how ski areas happen, created by and for ski area employees in the Northwest. If you travel back in time to our first episode, the intro to the Mountain Podcast, I talked about how this thing is formatted to follow your trail map. You got your Black Diamond episodes, you got your Green Circle episodes, well, today, we're going off-piste. It's a little game I'm calling Business Card Roulette. You're on the mountain. here might be a little ridiculous, but we're rolling with it. Off-piste today means I'm talking with people who are not necessarily ski area employees, but the work they do touches ski areas in some way. Over the last several years, I have attended a great many conferences, trade shows, conventions. Many are not even ski area functions. DC fly-ins, fundraising dinners, educational workshops at universities, economic forecasting meetings, and on and on. The association here touches a broad group of interests. In attending these types of events, I have amassed an insanely large stack of business cards. Business cards themselves, some would say, are a dead tool. Dead like a physical phone book, because, you know, the internet... So, a revival of sorts. I'm making use of them. I took that giant stack of business cards, pulled the email addresses off of each one, and sent a giant, blind-copied email to the lot. In that email, I very briefly explained the concept, and I put in an automated link to my Zoom room. I turn on the Zoom room, and I talk to whoever is there. I ask them how I got their business card, and we go from there. Got it? I am effectively spinning the old Rolodex here, casting a wide net, and seeing who bites. Ready? Let's play Business Card Roulette. Hello? Hello. Hey. Welcome to Business Card Roulette. <laughs> Better than the Russian version, I hope. <laughs> oh, man. 
What's up, Anders Carlson? Tell the people uh, who you are, what you do. Um, I'm Anders Carlson, and I am the founder of Carlson Climate Consulting here in Oregon. The future of snow and ice. So how did I get your business card? Maybe we can zone in on that. I think I reached out to PNSAA about a year and a half ago about climate change and discussing with uh, you how to look at its impacts on the industry and going forward and so on. I think I got the actual physical one at... um, at the National Ski Areas Conference yeah. uh, last spring, two springs ago now, I guess. Yeah, Tahoe one. That was a winter, Tahoe one. Oh, was it winter? It was winter. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Did not get to go to Big Sky this year or Wenatchee last year. Either, so. Yeah. Well, okay, so that's a great point. How has this pandemic affected you at Carlson Climate Consulting? Um, Very significantly. Uh, when you're trying to offer services that are giving ski areas a five to 10, 15 year lo- outlook on the future of climate in a region. And there's a pandemic going on with people worrying about just staying open through the season and surviving that your services are less of interest to people. <laughs> there's yeah, more immediate there's... problems than five, 10, 15 year kind of outlooks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The food on the plate has been the priority this year. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Very understandable. There's got to be an industry to consult with before there to be any consulting. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this summer you are on my radar um, from stuff that I saw here on local news. And and actually, you know, like I said, we were communicating anyway, uh, one-on-one. Yeah. Tell me more about this funeral for the glacier that happened up on South Sister. Yeah. Okay. So during the pandemic with a lot of free time, uh, a colleague of mine who's actually the lead forecaster for Central Oregon Avalanche Center and then also works at Oregon Back at your Ski Guides. We were friends from grad school. We had been kicking around and trying to raise interest and awareness over the loss of glaciers in the Oregon Cascades. And we decided to get off our seats and go do something about it in May and founded the Oregon Glaciers Institute. It's a .org. 501c3. And we spent this last summer going and visiting every glacier in Oregon to determine if it was still was a glacier or not. So kind of a binary approach. And uh, we then stole from the Swiss. Well, originally the Icelanders did it officially. Uh, and then we, the Swiss also did it. And we stole for their idea and had a funeral for one of the glaciers that has no longer a glacier in Oregon. Uh, Clark Glacier on the south side of South Sister probably is one of the most visited glaciers in Oregon or one of the formerly visited former glaciers because everybody hiking up to go to some of the South Sister uh, passes by it on its way and sees it from the trailhead at Devil's Lake. And yeah, it's gone. Um, It was there 20 years ago when I first moved to Oregon and not there anymore. I convened a small gathering at the state capitol. We made a casket and did a live stream on Instagram of a small funeral there on the steps of the capitol, as well as my colleague and friend Aaron Hartz led a group up South Sister and the weather gods had different plans and a giant storm rolled in. So they made it to... We made it to the lake at Lewis Glacier, which is the companion of Clark, and Lewis is still an active glacier. And they decided to turn around because the last thing we wanted to do for publicity was have like a rescue operation for our work. Yeah. <laughs> it was driving sideways ruin and rain. It was bad. So. Well, I almost I almost came. Uh, and now I'm, I'm glad I didn't because I would have had uh, the two-year-old in the backpack with me and 
it was the, oh. that would have been not great <laughs> it would have not been good it was <laughs> Yeah. He, he sent me some photos and I mean, the best description is kind of like what Forrest Gump said and, you know, the rain came sideways and stuff instead of being tropical Vietnam rain, it was oh. literally cold October rain. <laughs> so. Yeah. So uh, tell us just a little bit more of your background. I'm, I'm trying to keep these kind of short conversations and I really do yeah. want to continue to keep connecting with you on some um, cool ideas yeah. we've been having that are just waiting for pieces to fall into place but yeah. uh glaciers ski areas you your climate scientist yeah. background so i spent um the last 20 years i i first worked, went on a glacier in 99 up the matanuska glacier in alaska and just fell in love with uh ice and snow in the mountains and i spent um did my phd at oregon state university um, did a stint out on the East Coast as a postdoc at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, was a professor at University of Wisconsin-Madison, came back to Oregon State University, and then kind of got burned out with the academic world um, and started uh, trying to bring the science what I was doing, but I was doing it all over the world in Greenland, Antarctica, Svalbard, and why can't I just do this here in Oregon or the Pacific Northwest? And to do that, I had to basically leave academia and did that. Um, one of the big aha moments I had was back in like 2010 down in Tahoe. And I was beginning to wonder about our skin and how do we look at like changes in the snowpack and predict the future of this ephemeral item that, you know, the snowfall comes and goes and predicting basically is weather. And when I had this aha moment was we were skiing, you know, this formerly glaciated terrain and the snowpack is really just a glacier that disappears every summer. Or you can think of a glacier as a snowpack that just sticks around every summer to build up to be a glacier. And so taking the tools I developed for working on assessing glacier change in response to climate and trying to apply that then to the snowpack is where I saw like a new way forward in finding ways of predicting future snow resources and viability. You can't predict a good winter or a bad winter, but you can predict the odds of that occurring and you can predict... Um, what's your average viability of snowpack can be just like you can people predict the future of glaciers and mountain ranges. Same thing is true for snowpack. If you think about it from the way you think about how, gla how glaciers respond rather than from the snowfall. So, yeah, well, you, you can do that retroactively to a point too. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's not great that we don't have maybe the most consistent snow depth and measurement per ski area back yep. decades and decades and decades. Yep. But what we do have with your models also, you can, you can have a look back in time too, right? What's that? Oh yeah, like? totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can go back and look at the temperature. I think one of the biggest questions leading up to this, starting these endeavors was um, the decline in snowpack we've seen in Oregon and the Pacific Northwest over the last several decades that people really point out to a fair amount. And it's in the Oregon climate assessment reports and other states reports up here. What they don't mention, though, is that the snowpack was equally bad in the 20s and 30s. Um, so we have, like just a, dec a century ago, we have bad snow years. And what was driving those years and those bad decades is a real, I think, a very interesting scientific question that we don't have, a, has not been looked at yet much. Hmm. And what's interesting, you see that the connection with glaciers and the snowpack here, again, the Mazama Climbing Club in Oregon, back in the 20s and 30s, were doing a fair amount of work on glaciers then because uh, there were some of their members were USGS scientists, US Geological Survey. They were publishing papers like our disappearing glaciers in the 30s and talking about Mount Hood having no ice on it in the near future and things like that. 
then the snowpack improved uh, and glaciers regrew in the 50s and 60s. And But this is not a new situation we're in right now. Maybe the forcing is different, and that's something we'd have to think about. But there's all this link has been there for a long time. So going back in time, it's definitely um, always been on our minds. We just have not always paid attention to it. It's been on someone's mind, mind at least. <laughs> well, man, interesting stuff. And I know we've talked about this, but we're, we're going to do a full episode. We're just going to do yeah, a deep yeah, dive yeah. on this sort of stuff. Um, I've talked with you with other uh, ways that I think it's interesting to tie in some jobs data. Uh, yeah, yeah. To, to climate discussions by industry type. And uh, I, I think we have just a few pieces that are ready to fall into place. So we're going to be able to have some cool discussions here. Uh, it'd be good to do that. My wife's an economist. And so she just yesterday was talking to me about putting the economic price on these different things that we don't have. Like, you know, what is the economic value of snowpack? And um, I was like, well, that's a really good point. I have not the slightest clue how to give you that answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, I got five questions here for you. Okay. What was the last band or musician that you listened to? Uh, Grateful Dead. Grateful yeah, Dead. This morning in the car. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what was the last state fair type event that you went to? Uh, would have probably been the Benton County uh, County Fair. Okay. Yeah. Benton County Fair. All right. Outside of your immediate family, who is someone that you think might love you? Ah, oh, boy. My friend Todd Hansen, ski bum in Jackson Hole, Colorado and stuff like that, too. So he's out there. He's in Jackson right now skiing the storm. So what was your first job? First job uh, paid uh, was a bagger at Highlander Grocery Store in Rockford, Illinois. 16 years old. Cart, uh, cart, getting carts and bagging groceries. <laughs> well, last one. What is one of your favorite places in the wilderness? The, you know, the, the wilderness area just east of the uh, North Cascades National Park is pretty spectacular. Up in northern Washington, up towards the Canadian Yeah, border. yeah, that's pretty special there. I've been to some places in Greenland that nobody's been to before and ever will again that were very interesting places, uh, special. I've seen the first sunrise in, in the Arctic after one night of winter. Oh, you know, months of winter, it's cool. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. I'm hard to say though. Like, the pureness of it usually just speaks to me being in the moment. Doesn't have to necessarily be a place, but it just kind of if something happens and you're just like, ah, oh, this is I'm gonna remember this. <laughs> so that uh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to put it. And and honestly, it's maybe you've led it sounds like you've led quite the life that that's a pretty layered question. <laughs> yeah. To, to to see. But uh that's it. That's what I had here for for our little round of business. Well, that was card great. Roulette. I'm glad it was a. It was only with business cards, so that's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta we gotta make sure they're they're earning their keep. That there was something exactly. here for us. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I look forward to chatting and meeting person sometime soon. Yeah, you too. We'll talk to you All soon. Right. Yeah, later. All right, bye. Again, what we're doing here in part two of business card roulette is I've taken all of the email addresses from all of the business cards that I've accumulated over the years. And I've set up some impromptu zoom conversations to check in with people. Also, now that we're basically a year in to this pandemic zoom world, that comes with a lot of distortion and digital garbling in recording and 
background noise. But that's where we live now. So we have to deal with it. Who's next? Hey, can you hear me all right? I can hear you. Hi, Roz Reynolds, says the business card in my hand. (laughs) Yes, and we met in in Florida, right? Hey, you're one of the first one that's got the the business card drop-off location correct. I think we met in Florida. I think we met at a National Skiers Association conference in Florida. Uh, So tell the people who you are. What's going on here? Hi, my name is Roz Reynolds, and I work for Wiesen Avalanche Control and manage the branch in the USA. All right, Wiesen Avalanche Control. Tell me more about that. Well, we install remote avalanche control systems, which you can use to remotely trigger um, avalanches. It's much safer and much more efficient than conventional ways of avalanche control. Um, And ski resorts can use our systems um, to protect their employees and to mitigate avalanches. Hence why I was at the conference. <laughs> Trying to sell your wares. <laughs> yeah. Uh, though there's no skiing in Florida. There's no skiing in Florida. I think uh, <laughs> the ski people just want to get to the beach after it's all over sometimes. <laughs> to have a little warm up. Yeah, that's fair. So tell me how uh, this pandemic has affected uh, Wizen. So it's been interesting for us because it hasn't been totally different um, on a business front. We have projects, our projects tend to take a couple of years. Um, uh, they're just a big investment um, and they're big um, time consuming projects. So all the projects that we had planned for 2020 ended up continuing um and then hopefully the projects we have planned for 2021 will also happen as well they are with ski resorts so they're still a little bit uncertain at this point in time so it has affected us in that way um personally it's affected me because i can't all my coworkers are abroad except for uh, one who's in the u.s so i haven't been able to see my coworkers, and they haven't been able to see me um which has been kind of a bummer but we've tried to do our best to connect through zoom and that sort of thing okay so where in the u.s are you I'm in Boulder, Colorado, but we do have branches in Switzerland and Austria and Norway, Chile, Canada, and the U.S. So when it's not pandemic times, you get to travel to some of those places for work? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, everybody get uh, get the immunization happening here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Tell me about what a big project, you don't have to be real specific about a mountain or anything, but what's a what's one of the big beefy Weissen projects look like? What is that? Um, so we install towers, um, Beeson Avalanche Towers. Basically, they're a tower that has a box. It's, it's round, what we call a deployment box. And this box can be flown down from the tower and fill the charges, flown up, and then charges can be released remotely um, to hang on a, uh, a rope above the snow and detonate. Um, and recently we had a project with CDOT, which was uh, which took place last fall, and we did all the construction and the tower installation in-house. Um, and we installed five towers um, in some slide paths to protect Highway 145. And this was interesting because it was pretty technical terrain lots of cliffs and uh, steep areas. And so we had to really manage the safety of the sites. It was also a very beautiful area to work in. And we're just hoping we can get some snow now so that we can use the systems a little bit more. 
Cool. Although um, I've been, it's been nice that it hasn't been that big of a snow year yet. So far, it seems like there's been more recently, which is great. That's been slow for avalanches that would hit the roads. As you know, there's been many avalanche fatalities, um, but there hasn't been as big of avalanches that have affected the roads as much. Yeah. I think that's really interesting in your line of work um, in, in avalanche control situations that aren't necessarily at ski areas. So here you are protecting a highway, protecting part of our transportation infrastructure, right? Uh, and there's other departments of transportation that might have a howitzer um, and blasting that stuff. Up in Alaska, there are helicopter avalanche control and other, way, other methods um, that protect the power lines coming into Juneau. Uh, so there's avalanche controllers keeping the lights on. <laughs> Super interesting l- line of work that you're in, I think. Uh, and it, it touches areas that aren't just ski areas also. It's super cool. Hey, I got five questions for you. What was the last band or musician that you listened to? Ooh, um, I just listened to this musician called Lil Sims. Lil a Sims. song called 101 FM. It's a really good song. I like it. Nice. What was the last state fair type event that you went to? State fair type event. Oh, let's come back to that one. Uh, uh, it's been a while. It's been a, it's even been a before while. COVID, even <laughs> in the before times, it was a while. <laughs> Outside of your immediate family, who is someone that you think might love you? I think my friends, particularly a good friend of mine named Avi. We just had a great chat. He's awesome. Yeah. Cool. What was your first job? My first job was being a soccer referee uh, when I was in middle school. All right. What is one of your favorite places in the wilderness? My favorite places. um, I living in Boulder, I'm really fortunate to have a backyard full of climbing. um, And I really like going to Lumpy Ridge up near Estes Park. Um, just really beautiful scenery around there. The rock is really pretty and there's lots of fun adventures to be had. And going back to the state fair thing, um, I recently watched virtual uh, damp and real rock. So that's not exactly a state fair, but it was at least something. And normally I love going to the theater and watching film festivals, but this year that wasn't able to happen in person but the virtual event was very fun yeah cool i've i've had the same of course we all have all these virtual <laughs> events over there and some have been really great and some haven't i like to say zoom it doesn't come close to what it's like in person it's not as good but it is way better than nothing i like it well that's what i had for you uh, thanks for playing business card roulette with me. Uh, super silly, but it's uh, it's working. So, uh, good yeah. luck in your wise endeavors and in in everything else uh, getting through this uh, crazy time. Thank you. You too. Good luck with everything. All right. I hope to connect with you uh, in the future. Still, cool. You too. And I have your card. So, <laughs> all right. See ya. Cheers. Follow that chair on out. Come on out to that red line. How y'all doing today? Good, how about you? Oh, it's living the dream, you know. It's another beautiful day in paradise. Here comes that chair, guys. Yeah. Enjoy. Ah. 
chairlift thoughts might require an etymologist? Someone who knows the history of words? Yeah, I'm still thinking about words lately. Thinking way back to the age of sailing. And when those big sailing ships first showed up on the west coast, and those sailors looked ashore into these forests and saw basically endless ships. There's a ship's mast. There's a ship's mast. Let's turn that one into some planking. I bet that some of the language and the words that those sailors were using to describe their ships and the tools that they use found its way into logging, found its way into the timber industry. And because we know that there is some overlay between the timber industry and the ski industry, and because our lift mechanics climb those lift towers and are up there on the cross trees, cross arms, that's what I'm talking about. What are those overlay of words? I bet some of that old sailing language is alive in the ski industry. You know, let's think about it a little further inland westward expansion and the railroads as they started coming west, right? I've seen photos of cable cars in Denver when public transportation used to get pulled around by a cable, right? I've seen photos of those cables basically paved over and the street layouts in some areas uh, around Denver are following those old cable routes. I wonder if we're following our ship's mass logic, if some railroad worker language has continued to uh, be around and maybe it's found at some ski areas around Denver. I don't know. I need an etymologist to uh, test that hypothesis. If you are one of those, prop me up or tear me down. Uh, let's get to the bottom of it. Podcast at PNSAA.org. That's your chairlift thought. Well, if the download numbers are telling us anything, it's that people are digging this podcast and it is still continuing to grow. You can help with that by hitting subscribe so the next one pops up on your feed. Also, jump on there and leave us some reviews. That helps us out a lot. Big thanks to Lee Rosevere and Young Carts for their excellent podcast jams. We'll see you next time on The Mountain. I'm Goggy Foggle! <laughs>